Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Acts, chapter 15, and verse 12. Acts 15, 12, for our message from the Word of God this morning. You'll find Acts 15, 12 on page 1169 if you're using the church Bible and if you need a little help finding Acts 15.12. We want everybody to be able to see the Word of God that we're teaching. This morning's text is going to be in Acts 15.12 right through verse 18. And the title of this morning's message is the Jerusalem Council weighs the evidence. The Jerusalem Council weighs the evidence. And we begin with the story of a scientist who claimed that an earthquake was about to hit San Francisco. But the city council of San Francisco refused to believe him because the evidence he gave to support his claim was shaky at best. <coughs> well, <laughs> speaking of city councils and evidence... Here in Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is appearing before the Jerusalem Council to try to convince those leaders of the Jewish Kingdom Church that his new message of salvation for Gentiles without the law of Moses was a message from God. And last Sunday, we saw the Apostle Peter remind the council that God had sent him to a Gentile and he got saved without the law. And then Peter reminded them that when that happened, they decided that that was of God and that was such an unanswerable argument <laughs> that it left the members of the council speechless. As you see in verse 12 of Acts chapter 15 where we pick up the story with these words. Then, after Paul got done, I'm sorry, yeah, after Peter got done speaking, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now, the reason that Paul is telling those Jewish leaders on the council about the miracles that he performed among the Gentiles 
is because of something we read about in your first reference in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two, where Paul says, the Jews require miraculous signs. So Paul was telling those Jews on that council about the one thing that he knew they needed to hear before they would believe that his message was from God. And that was that God was working miracles among the Gentiles to corroborate his ministry among the Gentiles. And the thing about miracles is God never did any miracles for Gentiles. And that explains why the psalmist called those miraculous signs what he called them in Psalm 74, verse 9. When the psalmist said, and he's praying, we see not our signs. Those miraculous signs, folks, belong to the people of Israel. Now, as it says there in Psalm 74 and verse 9, when the Jews were disobedient to God, He stopped showing them miraculous signs. But He never gave their signs to the Gentiles until the Apostle Paul came along. And when the Jews on the council heard that God was working these miracles among the Gentiles, they had to conclude that God was working among them, that Paul's ministry was from God. But the official decision of the council had to come from the head honcho of the council. (laughs) And uh, he starts to give the official decision as we read on in verse 13. Verse 13 says, after they had held their peace, after Paul and Barnabas got done talking about those miracles among the Gentiles, James answered saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Now, the James there is not the Apostle James. Remember what happened to him? Herod had him killed back in Acts chapter 12. This is the James you read about in Galatians 1.19. James, the Lord's brother. Now I know that those of us who grew up in the Catholic faith, we were taught Mary never had any other kids but the Lord, but he did. And this is one of them. And when James says there in verse 13, hearken unto me, that shows that he's going to be the one to render the council's official decision. In fact, let's peek ahead in your Bible to verse 19 to see what he decides. In Acts fifteen nineteen, James says, Wherefore, my sentence is, my judgment is this, that we trouble not them, 
which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. James decided that the Gentiles don't have to be troubled to keep the law in order to be saved. So he made the right decision. But here we have to ask, who died and left James in charge of making official decisions for the Jewish kingdom church? I mean, before the Lord ascended into heaven, he made a guy named Peter the head of the Jewish kingdom church. He made Peter the main man, the head honcho, before he ascended into heaven. But here in this council meeting, Peter doesn't get to give the final word. In fact, he didn't even get to give the first word. <laughs> Look back up at verse 7 in your Bible of chapter 15 where we see that Peter didn't even get to give the opening remarks. In verse 7 it says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentile family of Cornelius, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Well, you'll notice there it was only after those leaders finished duking it out with each other that Peter finally stands up to talk. So he doesn't get to speak first or last, as you would expect the main man to do. So, why has a man who wasn't even one of the twelve apostles replaced Peter as the leader of the Jewish kingdom church? Well, we're not told why. <laughs> but I think it had to do with how things were not happening as the Old Testament said they would happen. After the Jews crucified the Lord Jesus, the wrath of Almighty God was supposed to fall on Israel. And it hadn't. Look at one of those predictions in Psalm 2, verses 1 to 5. I know it's a long quote, but this is one of the more important passages in the Bible when it comes to understanding what God is doing today. <clears throat> Psalm 2, Why do the heathen that's the Gentiles. Why do the heathen rage? And the people, that's talking about the people of Israel, why do they imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, like Pontius Pilate, and the rulers, the rulers of the Jews, take counsel together against the Lord, against God the Father, and against His anointed, the Lord Jesus saying, let's break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We're tired of being on their leash. How's God supposed to respond to that prophetically? <laughs> he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. But then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God was supposed to judge Israel and the world, folks, for killing his son together with the wrath of the tribulation. 
And when he didn't, the Jews were left wondering why he didn't. (laughs) So naturally, they asked the guy who the Lord put in charge what had happened. And Peter didn't know. Now, you and I know, (laughs) you and I now know that instead of judging the world, God interrupted the prophetic program and introduced the dispensation of grace. But God didn't tell Peter about the dispensation of grace, did He? What does Paul say in Ephesians 3, 2 and 3? The dispensation of the grace of God is given me to you word. He made known unto me the mystery, the mystery that even the psalmist knew nothing about. And Peter knew nothing about it. So when Peter couldn't tell the Jews why the wrath of God wasn't raining down on them, they looked around for another leader. And they picked James. Because James was big on the law of Moses, folks. They figured if the Lord wasn't going to come back and judge the world and set up that kingdom that Peter was always talking about, they would go back to the law that James was always talking about. Look what it says in Luke 16 and verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, the Lord said. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. The kingdom was supposed to come after the law was preached. But if the Lord wasn't going to come back, conquer the world and establish that kingdom... Jews decided they would just go back to the law till they figured out what God was up to. And we know that James was big on the law because of what we read about him in Acts 21, 18, and 20. Remember when Paul went unto James and all the elders of the Jewish kingdom church there in Jerusalem And they said unto Paul, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they're all zealous of the law. You know how they got to be zealous of the law? James was teaching the law. Then look at the emphasis that James puts on the law in James 1 to 4 there. I gave you a chopped up version, but you go home and check it out. You'll see that... This is what it's teaching. James said, Whoso looketh into the law shall be blessed. (laughs) Fulfill the law. Keep the whole law. Thou art become a transgressor of the law. They shall be judged by the law. He that speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law art not a doer of the law. James had all those Jews zealous of the law of Moses. Now listen, that's the kind of guy they needed as their leader while they were trying to figure out why the kingdom that Peter was big on wasn't coming. 
And here's the thing. God must have thought James should be their leader because he had James write one of the books of the Bible. One of the books of the Bible in which he told the Jews he was writing to to keep the law as we saw in all those references there. Now, you know what that means? That means God approves of believers who stick with what they know while they're trying to figure out the dispensational changes that he makes. That means... God approves of Baptists and Pentecostalists and all the other brethren who don't know the grace message. If they're sticking by what they know while they're trying to figure out what you know, (laughs) God approves of them and their faithfulness to his word and his ministry. Now he's going to approve of them a whole lot more when they do figure it out. We know that. But don't ever get the idea that you and I as grace believers have a monopoly on God's approval because it ain't so. So now, what's this champion of the law? What what is James going to say about Paul's new message of salvation without the law for Gentiles? Well, let's read on in verse 14 in your Bibles. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, talking about his visit to Cornelius, to take out of them a people for his name. Now, if the name Simeon doesn't sound familiar, it's because you don't see it too much in the New Testament. Simeon is the Old Testament law's version of Peter's New Testament name. Peter's New Testament name is Simon Peter. James was so big on the law, he is the law's version of names. And he says, Simeon has told us how God visited that Gentile named Cornelius and saved him without the law to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. A saved group of Gentiles, in other words. Listen, everything God does is for his name. You read that over and over in the Old Testament. But did you notice in verse 14 there that James said absolutely nothing about the miracles he just heard Paul say he was working among the Gentiles. Now, why would that be if Jews require a sign and they're supposed to be so so impressed by miraculous signs? Well, the answer is, and don't you don't miss this point. Jews were supposed to be more impressed by the word of God. At least that's what God told them in Deuteronomy 13, 1-3. He told them, if there arise among you a prophet, and that prophet gives you a sign or a wonder, a miraculous sign, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. It's a legitimate sign. It's an authentic miracle. But if he says it and speaks unto thee saying, Let's go after other gods. 
thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet. God told the Jews, if a guy working a miracle says to go serve some other gods, which the Bible says not to do, you listen to the Bible, not the miracle. You listen to the Word of God and ignore the miracle. And that's kind of what James is doing here. He knows that miracles alone don't prove that God is involved in something. Folks, for all James knows, this Paul guy, he might be the miracle-working Antichrist that the Bible says is coming. So it wasn't Paul's miracles that convinced James that Paul was of God. James thought of some scriptures that convinced him. And he quotes them in verses 15 and 16 in your Bible now again. Acts 15, verses 15 and 16. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will return, talking about the second coming of Christ, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now James says that Paul's new ministry among the Gentiles agrees with that prophecy that he's quoting. So let's read what Amos 9.11 says. Your next reference has the prophecy that he's quoting. See if it doesn't sound pretty much the same. The Holy Spirit has the right to change words around a little bit to help us understand it better. We don't have the right to change the words around a <laughs> Amos said, in that day, this is God speaking through Amos, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. So what's this tabernacle of David that James and Amos are talking about? Well, think about it. The tabernacle that the people of Israel lugged through the wilderness <laughs> was what? It was a tent made of skins with the glory of God inside it. Because inside it was the ark of the covenant of God where God dwelt. And you know what? The people of Israel were also a tent made of skins with the glory of God inside them. So, the tabernacle of David that fell down in the Old Testament and needed to be built back up in the New Testament was the people of Israel. Now, if you need help seeing that in those verses... Look what David said about the tabernacle in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 2. It's talking about David the king. <clears throat> the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. David says, I got a, I got a great house. I have a wonderful pad, we used to say in the 60s. Remember, come over to my pad. 
God, the ark of God, dwells within curtains. And he's talking about the curtains of the tabernacle, folks. And it's obvious from what he says there that David wanted to build God a permanent house. He wanted to build him a temple. And we know that God was thrilled and pleased to hear about that because Solomon said something in 1 Kings 8.18 that tells us that. 1 Kings 8.18, The Lord said unto David my father, Whereas it was in thine heart to build me a house, to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. David got an attaboy from God Almighty Himself. But, what did God tell Nathan to tell David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 3 to 11? God told Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, speak I a word, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? God says, I never asked you to build me. I never asked anybody to build me a house. The verse goes on to say, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, The Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. God was so thrilled, so pleased with David for wanting to build him a house that he promised to build David a house. But not a house of cedar. He already dwelt in one of those. He said so. No, folks. God planned to make him a house of people. Kind of like the house of Israel is a house of people. God actually planned to make David into a house of people, as he goes on to say in the very next verse in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 and 16. God tells Nathan, you tell David, when thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, when you're taking a dirt nap pushing up daisies, I will set up thy seed after thee, and I'll establish his kingdom. And now watch. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established. Now, you know who David's seed was, right? It was Solomon. So, the house of David, the tabernacle of David that God was going to build up after David died was the house of Israel who lived in Solomon's kingdom. And God did build that house. Solomon had a great kingdom. But the tabernacle of David in Solomon's kingdom fell down when Israel rebelled against God and God let Babylon conquer them, right? But Amos predicted that someday God would build Solomon's kingdom back up. 
That's why the Lord asked, I'm sorry, that's why the twelve apostles asked the Lord in Acts 1.6, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And you've heard me say many times that word restore means like we had under Solomon, restore that. Well, the Lord sent Peter out to, to, to try to restore it in Acts chapters 1, 2, 3, right through chapter 7. But the Jews refused the kingdom when they stoned Stephen. But someday God is still going to set up the tabernacle of David's house in the kingdom of heaven on earth. And you know that that's when it's going to happen because of something in the context of Amos 9. Look at your next reference. In Amos 9, 11, and 13, God says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes is going to overtake him that soweth the seed. That's talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth too, isn't it? That's when the crops in Israel are going to grow so amazingly that 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 they'll be uh, that they'll, they won't have to wait until springtime to, <laughs> to, to plant the crops. The guy, the reaping guy, is going to be hot on the heels of the guy sowing the seed. And that's in the kingdom. And that's also when, two verses earlier, when God's going to build up David's tabernacle of people that fell down in Solomon's Old Testament kingdom. Now, I know that that makes it sound like God only loves Jews (laughs) and He only wanted Jews to be saved. But... Back in your Bible now. James goes on to explain why God is going to build David a house in verse 17. He's going to build it that the rest of men, the residue of men, might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. In other words, After God restores the kingdom to Israel, the rest of the people in the world, the residue of men in the world, are going to seek the Lord. At least the ones who call on God's name, as it says there. Isaiah predicted all that in Isaiah in a couple places, but look at Isaiah 60, verses 3 and 5. God told them, The Gentiles will come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. When God raises you up, builds up again the tabernacle of David, the Gentiles are going to come. The abundance of the sea, and if you've heard me say so many times, the sea in the Bible is a type of the Gentiles. The abundance of the sea will be converted to thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Gentiles are going to be coming to Israel to learn about the true God. As Isaiah says in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, in the last days, 
the mountain of the Lord's house, and a mountain's a type of the kingdom in the Bible. The kingdom of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains, in the, among all the other kingdoms of men. God's kingdom's going to be on top. And it'll be exalted above those hills, the littler countries, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people will go and say, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways. For out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And all of that is still going to happen after the rapture and after the tribulation. But in the meantime, Gentiles are being reached through Israel's fall, not a rise. At least that's what Paul says in Romans 11 and verse 11. Through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. And that's why James didn't say that Paul's ministry fulfilled what Amos said. What word did he use instead in verse 15? Say it loud, say it proud. He didn't say it fulfilled what Amos said. He said it what? It agreed with Amos said. You know what else he didn't say? He didn't say what Peter said when he saw people speaking in tongues at Pentecost. In Acts 2.16, look what Peter said. He said this agrees with that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Is that what you said? No! He said, this is that. But James didn't say that here. He didn't say Paul's ministry is that which was spoken by Amos. He said it agreed with it. So James weighs the evidence and just kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, well... The salvation of Gentiles is what God wanted all along. And what Paul's doing agrees with what God wanted to do all along. So I'm going to approve Paul's ministry. But before we read on, let me show you one more reason why you can know for sure why James couldn't say that Paul's ministry fulfilled what Amos predicted. Because you see, when James quoted what Amos said, he left something out of that quotation. Something you see in your next reference in Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that's fallen, and I will build it as in the days of old, like under Solomon, that they... Now, if you're talking about a tabernacle, you'd think he'd say it. But he's talking about a tabernacle of people, isn't he? That the tabernacle of David, that they, the people of Israel, may... What's that next word? Possess the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. In the kingdom of heaven on earth, folks, the Gentiles are going to be Israel's possessions, their servants, their bond slaves. You read about that in Isaiah 60, verse 10. 
strangers, I'm sorry, the sons of strangers, and by the way, strangers are the Gentiles, the sons of strangers are going to build up your walls, the physical walls in Israel, and their kings will minister unto you Jews. He says it again in Isaiah 61.5, Strangers, Gentiles, will stand and feed your flocks. It's going to be your shepherds. And the sons of the alien, the sons of the Gentiles, are going to be your plowmen and your vine dressers, your slaves. He said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me the kingdom of heaven on earth is going to have slaves? Doesn't sound very heavenly to me. But here's the thing. These are not kidnapped slaves like we had in our country. These are voluntary slaves who are going to be so grateful to the Jews for teaching them the word of God. They're going to willingly make themselves the slaves and servants of the Jews. I can't tell you how often people try to do things for me just because I teach them the Word of God. But let me tell you something. I am not joining any caravan to Israel to be their plowmen or their vine dressers. They wouldn't want me anyway. My plow lines would look like this probably. Now, you want to know how to plow, go by Thornton's farm over there. He's got the, the field, he's got them plowed really straight. But not me, no, sir. Now, I do know that a lot of misguided Christians want to go to Israel to build them a temple. But they shouldn't. You know why? Because the word of the Lord isn't going forth from Jerusalem in the dispensation of grace. It's going forth from places like Faith Bible Church. So if you want to be my slave, the line forms over there on the right. Now that now that Rick is back in town. I remember that song. But before James rendered his sentence that we already read, he said one more thing that we is we just got to consider. Back in your Bible now in verse 18, he, he finishes his little thing before he gives the sentence he says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. In other words, he's saying, God has known about everything He's ever planned to do from the beginning of the world. Now, why would He say that? I can't prove it, folks, but I think it was because Paul talked to the council about the mystery and how God knew from the beginning of the world that He was going to save Gentiles without the law. He knew it all along. He just didn't say anything about it. And if you need more proof that he was thinking of you and me, even in Amos 9, let me show you something else Amos said in Amos 9 and verse 6. A couple of verses earlier. Talking about God. It's God, it's he that buildeth his stories in the heaven. 
Now those aren't the kind of stories Ray tells his grandkids. <laughs> those are the kind of stories like when we say the Sears Tower has 110 stories. Those are levels of government in heaven that fell when Satan and his host disobeyed God. Just like Solomon's kingdom on earth fell when they disobeyed God. Now, we've already seen Amos in that chapter. He goes on to talk about restoring Solomon's kingdom. But he didn't say anything at all about restoring those stories. Nobody did until Paul came along. Paul came along and explained how God will someday restore those stories with schmoes like you and me. And someday you and I are going to be moving on up to that deluxe apartment in the sky, right? Amen? Let's thank God. Let's thank God for that. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful that we serve such an amazing, astounding God and that you had us Gentiles in mind throughout the Old Testament for 4,000 years when we were looking for the most part like chopped liver. We know you had us in mind. We were on your hearts. We were hidden in your mind all that time. Thank you for raising up the Apostle Paul to tell us about the riches of your grace. And we thank you for it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.